This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Math and Geography. Um, we, he's going to give us a talk about games, games and learning, how to use games in the classroom, and generally why games are fun and awesome to play. And then afterwards, we have games to play here in the library. So in the back, we have games to sign up for, if you want to sign up for a game, or just stop at, back there after Jason's talk, and we'll be playing. Um, so without further ado, uh, Jason Keene. Hello, everybody. Welcome, and thank you for being here. Um, I have the really fun and exciting opportunity to talk about board games, learning, and some really cool stuff about them. So. What we're going to talk about, I have this in three parts. First one is, you mean like Monopoly? That's like the board game? Oh, yeah, that was never really fun because the game just kind of like stopped at the four-hour mark when the banker was discovered stealing all the money. The second part we'll talk about is how you can use these in the classroom, how they help with learning. And the third part is, where can I buy these? Where can I learn some more about these? Because everybody knows a little bit about Monopoly, but maybe not about some of the other things. So board games. You mean like Monopoly? If you have any experiences like I do, you may recall a not fun experience with Battleship where the game takes forever. It's got to be in kind of a quiet area, and you inevitably discover the person next to you is cheating and moving around all the pegs anyway. So it's a fun game. It's also a game that's 50 years old. I'm not going to say that all old things are bad, but at the same time, sometimes it's a good idea to kind of freshen things up a little bit, look for some new games and get some new ideas. turns out that there's a lot of stuff out there that works the same way. The game Life was designed in 1860, and not really my favorite game, because it turns out that you get more money at the end by selling your children in it. Or Monopoly, the game that we talked about before that never really seems to end, and when it does, just kind of stops. It turns out that there are ways to win at Monopoly, but you have to have the same set of rules as everybody if you want that to happen. In the last 10 and 20 years, there have been a whole crop of brand new games. You can hear about a lot of these at places like Gen Con, which is a picture right here. 60,000 people went to Indianapolis in August played some games, did some other stuff. Every year that's been expanding. And in an economy like ours, reading that the board game industry is growing at about 20% every year when we've had a recession and when all kinds of other bad and crazy things have happened in our economy, it kind of means something. What are most people's experiences with board games? I, for one, love Connect Four. Anybody know a big secret about Connect Four, though? It's a solved game, which means that if you play in a prescribed way, you're guaranteed not to lose. It's like playing tic-tac-toe, right? If you are the first player, you pick the, the middle spot. You really have to go out of your way to make that game not work for you, right? Connect Four, turns out, is accidentally the same kind of way. Here are some kind of commonalities with them. Sometimes the winner is kind of random. In the game of life, it's whoever rolls the best, Right? A lot of times what ends up happening is a player gets eliminated. So you're playing Monopoly, all of a sudden you go bust, you lose all your money, and then you're sitting there while all your friends are playing and you're like, I don't know, in front of the TV or something like that, being bored. 
sometimes there's a sense that the person that's won has done so based on a couple of decisions that happened in the very beginning. And so everybody else is just kind of prolonging the inevitable, waiting to see what happens. But the game goes on for like three hours anyway. You know, that's always fun. And some games, again, like Monopoly, I'm picking on Monopoly a lot, aren't I? We have all these arcane rules that somebody knows and they swear are in the rule book somewhere, but they're not. They're just kind of made up. Everybody knows about the free parking rule, right? Not in Monopoly at all. That's just one that people have handed down. Most newer games are designed kind of trying to think of ways to get around these rules. First one is usually there's no player elimination. There are some that are. One of the games that we play is called Suro. Don't feel bad if you get eliminated from that one, though, because you're going to be playing a new game in about five minutes anyway. So it's not really all that big of a deal. Many times there's multiple ways to win. So if somebody wants to go for one path of victory, another person can go for another path of victory, and we'll see kind of who ends up as the way things go. Some of these games are cooperative, which means that it's not about one person winning and getting bragging rights until next Thanksgiving. It means that everybody wins or everybody loses together. We're not going to be playing any games like that today just because the cooperative rules tend to be a little bit heavier duty, so not really the easiest thing to teach and play a game in an hour, say. But there's lots of really great ones out there. Many of rules that are crafted very specifically and that have done a lot of play testing and that are really, really advanced stuff. One of the games that we're going to talk about, Hey, That's My Fish, the guy that designed it has a Ph.D. in math. So instead of going into academia or going into a career in business, decided to make board games with his knowledge. There's a couple of other board game designers like that too. Reiner Nitzia, who I don't think we have any games that we're going to play by him today. Same way, Ph.D. in math went into business, discovered it wasn't his jam, and then made board games, and is very successful at doing that. We're going to talk about a couple of types of board games just for a second. This is a screenshot from one of the, the big board game websites out there, probably the biggest one called Board Game Geek. There are 72,000 board games on this website. So obviously I'm not going to be talking about all of them. I can't talk about all the different categories of games that are going to be out there. But I'll just give you like a, a real quick, simple way to kind of think of it. 20,000 designers, 15,000 publishers. There's a lot of games out there. Many of them are pretty good. One category of games that we're going to play, there's two that we're going to be playing after this are called abstract games. They're not abstract in the sense that there's no concrete pieces, but in the sense that we're talking about pieces like this, blocks. It almost looks like Tetris or something like that. We're not talking about a map of Europe, for example. This is Blockus. Blockus is a game where the goal is to get all of your pieces on the board using some very prescribed rules. I love Blockus. If there was one board game that I could save, if Dr. Doom came down from on high and said he's going to destroy all the board games in the world, I might save Blockus. That might be the one I'd save. Hey, That's My Fish is another one that I love. That would be one that I would also consider saving, but I could probably just pick this one up and make it. It's really simple, but it's an incredibly awesome game. It looks like it's for kids, but remember, a guy that has a Ph.D. in math designed it. So we're talking about a very intense game, very quick. It probably takes longer to set up than it does to play, but a phenomenally wonderful game. The next two 
games that we're going to talk about are called train games. There's really no good way to talk about these except just calling them train games. Suro is one. Suro is called the game of the path. The way that Suro is designed is you want to have your piece on the board for as long as you can. The way that this works, you place a tile, you move your piece along the path along that, and you try to not have your piece collide with others or get knocked off of the board. It's a very random game. It's very simple. You don't ever feel bad about losing Suro because it's a little bit more random, and the game goes for about 10 or 15 minutes. It's a very quick, very fun game. This one is called Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride is sometimes called a gateway game, as though this was, you know, an addiction. Well, sometimes it is like an addiction, I guess. It's called a gateway game in the sense that people play Ticket to Ride, and they're like, this game is really fun. Let's play some others. Ooh, there's other games like this? Let's play those too. Your goal in Ticket to Ride is to build as many trains as you can across the country. It's a really fun time. It teaches you a little bit about geography, too, along the way, which I always love because you've got to figure out where Kansas City is and where Houston is and stuff like that. Always a bonus. Carcassonne is another one. Carcassonne, I believe, won, along with Ticket to Ride, the Spiel des Jahres, which is a lot of good games come from Germany. It's kind of like the German game of the year. It's a very prestigious honor. It's probably the most prestigious honor in all of the board game industry. It's a little bit older, but this is one of these games that if you have a copy of, you can always find a lot of fun people playing because Carcassonne is very well known in the industry. It's a really good time. Your goal on this one is to get as many victory points as you can. What's a victory point? Victory points are a little bit like maybe money in Monopoly where you get victory points by claiming with these little wooden guys, sometimes called meeples, where you put them in specific areas and you get points based on that. If there was one game that probably opened up this wide open, it would probably be a game called Settlers of Catan. Settlers of Catan is probably the most well-known modern board game. It's a lot of fun. It's called a trading game because the general idea of it is to trade to get as many resources as you can to build things like this, houses and cities, from which you can develop and build more resources. It's a really fun time. It's very intense. It's also a very beautiful game. This is one of these ones that's very well known in the industry. Next, we'll talk about board games and learning and how I can sometimes fit them into my teaching and into the classroom. A couple of benefits of board games in the classroom is I teach math, and a lot of times people don't always like math as much as you might think. But what they do like doing is they like solving puzzles and they like playing games. One big surprise is almost all board games are just math underneath the surface. Settlers of Catan is just math. It's just probability. It just looks a little prettier and is a lot more fun. But a lot of times when we talk about these, we inevitably talk about engines for solving bigger issues and talking about other things. One thing is that it emphasizes teamwork. You can play these games in teams, and at the minimum, you get a group of people talking around a table and kind of trying to do something together. Hopefully you're fun. You know, if you're playing a bad board game, then you're probably wasting your time, right? There's a lot of great games out there that you need to try. I can sometimes do these and just, wait, you mean I learned something and we didn't get graded? You know, the emphasis is sometimes on getting points, on earning points for things. 
But if you can play a game, that'll beat points any day. There are some potential issues with using board games in the classroom, one of which is most board games are what we call zero-sum things. At the end of the game, there's a winner, and there's people that don't win. And sometimes people are okay with this. Sometimes people turn over the table in rage and start swearing and yelling. Sometimes not the attitude you want to cultivate in the classroom. I've never seen it happen, but I guess it's potentially something that could. Is there a mechanism for people to catch up if they start losing? If we make a board game about, say, solving math equations, which I've done, it is very possible that the people that were the best at doing math equations beforehand are going to be the people that win the game, which inevitably kind of reinforces the idea of winners and losers, and sometimes that leaves a bad taste in someone's mouth. So what you want to do in a situation like that is try to find a way to rectify that or pick teams or have some sort of a catch-up situation. If it's specifically thinking about content delivery, you can make the argument that board games are not the most efficient way. But I'll tell you about the teacher that I had that I think was the best teacher that I ever had. I don't think that he delivered much content. I think what he inevitably did was he made me interested in the subject for myself so I'd learn about it more afterwards. That's kind of more what games are about, is it's about helping you to discover the love of learning for yourself. These can have hurt feelings. I can remember a couple of people getting mad at me when I won. I can even remember a couple of times that I got mad when I lost. I'm not too proud to admit that. I'm a human being. One other problem sometimes with teaching games that I don't believe I have up here is missing pieces. Um, I had a math lab a couple of years ago at a different school that I taught at, and we played a lot of chess in there. I started out with 20 brand new chess boards brand new pieces. By the end of the year, I think I had three that were serviceable. Pieces were missing. God knows where they went. Chewed up, whatever. So you want to make sure that you've got an opportunity to get additional pieces if you do want to make a game. A couple of ways you can use games. One is you can use it for review material. Uh, we talk about using the bingo concept, for example, if you're going to design a game like that. Another one and this is one that I'm much more interested in, is the idea of a game as authentic assessment. As opposed to creating the game for the students, why not have them create the game for themselves? And that's the exam, how they can deliver content using something like that. And then, instead of taking a test, maybe you play the games. That sounds like a lot more fun than taking a test. Clearly, if I started taking out all the tests in a math class and replacing them all with games, there may be issues, but once or twice, I think, can really help with that especially. And I don't know how many students I've had that they got out some flashcards and it worked for them. I'm not always the best fan of flashcards, but they work sometimes, right? Sometimes they can be used just for content delivery, like flashcards. I have a really simple game that I thought we could all play really fast. Have you all played the game Guess Who? Familiar with the idea, at least. The idea is you have a bunch of faces, and you've got to pick who the person is that you're thinking of based on characteristics. Is the person a man or a woman? Does the person have glasses? Do they have hair? I, I, I whatever. You know, it's been a while since I played Guess Who. We're going to play it with the countries of Europe. Notice the map is a little bit old, and whew, it's not that Scotland got its independence, so I don't have to worry about that. 
I'm thinking of a European country. It's one of the countries that's on this map. For our purposes, Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Libya are not European, so I'm not thinking of one of them. Turkey is European. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to try to figure out what country I'm thinking of. We'll do this with six questions that you can ask. Yes or no questions. Anybody got a question? I'm thinking of one particular country up here. Does it look like a boot? It's a little bit subjective, but I'll say no. The question was, does it look like a boot? I'll say no. You want to know a big secret on how to play guess who well to really deduct what answer it is? Pick a question that can roughly divide up half the countries at any given time. That's why the first one in guess who is usually is the person a man or a woman. No. The question was, is it landlocked? And the, question, and the answer was no, it is not landlocked. It is touching a sea or an ocean. Would it be considered Eastern Europe? Would it be considered Eastern Europe? No. So it is not a boot. It is touching the sea, and it is not considered usually to be an Eastern European question, nation. No. The predominant religion is not Catholicism. Is it bankrupt? I do not believe it is. This is usually one of the countries that we think of as being wealthier. One quick point of discussion, too. Catholicism is not the same as Christianity. So... Yes, the country is on the North Sea. You think one more? Two more? Think you got it? I forgot how many questions we asked, so it's all right. We'll say it was like four. Six. There are probably people that do, but it is not the predominant language. So, is English spoken there? Yes, but it is not the predominant or official language. What do you think? You want to take a guess? Or you want to do one more? Yes. Norway! Six million people live there. That's two-thirds of the size of metropolitan Chicago. So, ah, uh, Norway. Easy way that I use to just quickly get students to know the map of Europe a little bit better, because I do map quizzes and geography. This will take, what, three or four minutes at the beginning of the day, and students love it. You know, it's a lot better than just staring at a map and being like, all right, this is Norway, this is Denmark. Because we're inevitably thinking of ways that we can chunk the information now ourselves. When we think about Europe, probably the best way to think of it is not as, all right, this is this country, that is that one, but trying to develop our own unique sets of ways to categorize these countries. To do that means you can learn it a lot quicker. All right, part three. 
learning more and buying some games for ourselves. Once you decide that this is something that's kind of interesting for you, the first place is where do I learn some more about these? Especially if you don't have friends that you can mooch games off of like I do or something like that. Where do you learn about them? The two websites that I like to use the best, and these are not, I'm just a person that likes board games. By no means am I the perfect person to talk about these. I like one called Board Game Geek. This tends to be where most of the interest and most of the activity goes on within the board gaming subculture. Lots and lots of information there. They can tell you what games are new, what games are coming out, where you can get games for cheap, stuff like that. The other one is the Dice Tower. The Dice Tower is run by a guy out of Korea. I think he's an English teacher out there. And this is kind of his gig. Is This is what he does for a living, pretty much, is talks about board games, owns a bunch of board games. Whenever they show, like, his house, he's got probably six or 700, which is awesome, I guess, if you got the room. Two very good websites that I think are are very useful. I prefer Board Game Geek a little bit more than the Dice Tower just because the Dice Tower tends to be very video based and sometimes I don't want to watch a video, I just want to read some stuff, but to each their own. Where can I buy some? If you're looking for a place that maybe you want to buy some of these, usually Target or Walmart or Toys R Us are not always the best option to find these because they're a little bit smaller run. First thing I would strongly suggest to you, if you're trying to conserve money, you just want to buy a couple of new games, Games Plus, it's a store in Mount Prospect, has a board game auction that's coming up in two weeks. They usually have one in the spring, and they have one in the fall. Their fall one is October something-ish, I don't know. If you type in Games Plus auction on any of your favorite search engines, it'll probably be the first thing that comes up. You can get games ridiculously cheaply there. I'm talking five bucks for a used but very serviceable game that you would go to a store and spend 50 or 60 bucks on. I cannot strongly suggest this enough. If you're just looking to buy a couple of games, if you're not very specific that you want one game, try going there. There are a couple of local game stores as well. A lot of times these are game stores that this is all they do is just sell board games. Sometimes they sell other stuff as well. Amazing Fantasy in Frankfurt is probably the best one within Moraines Valley's district. It's got a ton of games. They're very nice people there. They can help you out. It's not a dedicated board game store, though. They sell comic books. They sell graphic novels. They sell all kinds of really fun stuff. There are a couple of dedicated board game stores in the area that are pretty good. Fair Game in Downers Grove is run by some very friendly people that are very helpful. They'll, they also have a library that you can take out a game and try playing it for yourself. And if you like it, you can buy it there. And if not, you just put it back on the shelf and you go back to where you were before. Wandering Dragon in Plainfield is really good too. This is my wife's favorite game store. It's got really fun ambiance. It's got a whole mess of little rooms that you can just bring a couple of friends. They also have a game library where you say, I want to try this game, pull it out, go in a back room and try it out for a while and decide that you like it and then you can buy it or that you've just saved yourself a bunch of money by not buying a game that you didn't particularly like. And there are lots and lots of others. Um, off the top of my head, there's Leisure Hours and Joliet. There's 
Games Plus and Mount Prospect. There's probably some other ones as well. Anybody else know of one? Cat and Mouse is that is very good. It's on the north side, so I believe that's one of the best ones around. I've heard. Really? Yeah. In the Orland Mall? Yeah, nice. Uh, by the guy, uh, uh, one of the owners of uh, Jimmy's Paradise. It's not a, a lot of stuff, but there's some stuff there. So it's stuff for uh, over Very cool. So by Sears in Orland Mall, there's another game store. So, yeah, there's a couple if you are looking around. But it's not the kind of thing that you can necessarily drive down the street and say, I want to buy a board game that's a little bit tougher to find. There's also online retailers. Some people like to buy from online stores. Some people do not. But there's certainly a lot of places online that you can buy from. Does anybody have any questions, any comments, any thoughts? Oh, just want to, uh, <laughs> over at Fair Game, Eric will also uh, run you through a game or play the game with you if you uh, ask him nice and he has time. So, Excellent. The owner of Fair Game, his name is Eric, and one of the things about a lot of board games is they're a lot more fun if you can just start to play it, if you don't have to learn a brand new set of rules. And one of the owners of Fair Game, he'll actually teach you how to play the game for yourself, which is really, really helpful. Sometimes it's nice to read through a rule book and say, all right, this is how we play it. Many times, though, in the board game industry, it's a lot more fun if you have somebody that's played the game before and can kind of teach you as you play. Very cool. I'll bring the microphone over to you. I wonder what happened if I talked into both of them. These, the games that you're using today, do you ever use more complicated games like that in the classroom? And if you do, how do you teach the students to play those? It can be tougher to play more complicated games because a lot of times some of the more advanced ones have a little bit of a learning curve so that the first time you play you're just kind of learning the rules. And also because my classes are typically either 50 minutes or 75 minutes. So I have tried some with some degree of success. But... I tend to, if I'm going to teach a game, it tends to be one with more simplified rules just because then we can get the rules out of the way and then start playing immediately. So when you teach them the rules, do you focus on let's learn all the rules in one shot or do you kind of play a simplified game and then add more complexity to it? It definitely depends on the game that we're playing. Sometimes the idea of teaching all the rules is just it can't realistically be done in the time that we have. Other times, if it's a game that can be played over more than one day, then it can work, but sometimes that can be difficult to squeeze that amount of time into a 16-week a system. So, no problem. Any other questions? I have one. Um, sure. Could you give us your top three games ever? This is like asking a parent which child is their favorite. But I only have one, so it's really not that hard, I guess. Ooh. Are 
a good game is only as good as the people you've got playing with you, which is, I have a, a couple of friends that really hate Monopoly or Life or games like that, and sometimes I hate them too, but if you build memories and if you have fun together, that's really the most important thing. I, I would definitely say Blockus is in my top three. A game called Race for the Galaxy is in there. That's a card-based game. It's a fun game, but the rules are a little bit quirky, and I'm not sure it would be a good fit for today. But now I have to only pick one. I like Power Grid, too. Power Grid is a... It's been called a... 1040 form with like a tax form with numbers and points associated with it, but it's very mathy. It's a very fun, it's a very intense game, but it's definitely not for everybody. If I were going to pick a couple other games that I think are really good, I think all six of the games we're going to be playing are pretty terrific. I think there's a game called Dominion that's a lot of fun. That's a card-based game, but still usually qualified as a board game, I think. Tigris of Euphrates is a really good game. He's by a designer named Reiner Nitzia. I could talk about this for 45 minutes, so just straight. Does anybody else have any favorite games that they have? I know we've got a room full of people that have some degree of interest in board games that probably played a lot more. <laughs> I don't like microphones. Have you ever played Bonanza? I have. I that's, that that's a card-based card game. My wife, that's probably her favorite game. Bonanza is a game where you try to collect sets of cards based on... Your, it's supposed to be bean trading, but you are picking together groups of cards. It's a lot of fun. Um, the guy that designed it, Uli Rosenberg, is very well known in the board gaming industry. A lot of fun. There's also an advantage in having a game that fits in your pocket, because some games... Do not end up taking up rooms in your house. Not speaking from personal experience there. <laughs> Anybody else have like a favorite game? Or a couple that they like? <laughs> oh, I said Carcassonne. I love Carcassonne. Is that when the game was going to play? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Carcassonne is a great game. And it's just, it, every time you play, it's going to be different because of the cards you pull. There is the random element, but there's also the skill base and the, um, the, the strategy involved in playing it. And a really great game for kids is Stone Soup, which is a collaborative game. I have never... Collaborative memory game. It's really fun. I have a five-year-old, and he and his friends just, they love to play it. They totally buy into the idea of working together, and it's great. Very cool. Anybody else? Should we talk about playing some games then and getting these set up? Sounds great. Thank you great. so Thanks. much for your time. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library.